And by the way, hey, good morning. Inflation. The overwhelming consensus is going to pop up a little bit and then go back down. No one's talking about this great, great, you know. Inflation is now at the highest level in 13 years. It's going to go up very substantially. It's going to cost you a lot more. Imposing a stealth tax on hardworking Americans and especially on middle-income Americans. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary. There's nobody suggesting there's unchecked inflation on the way. Wait till you see the real numbers on inflation and what's going on. And wait till you go to the pump today and you see $3.75. We were at $1.87 for a gallon of gasoline. That these bottlenecks and price spikes will reduce as our economy continues to heal. While today's consumer price report points in that direction, we will keep a careful eye on inflation each month. We're uh, taking action to address gas prices as well. We have inflation like we haven't seen in a long time. I think it's much worse if you look just at energy. And when energy goes up, everything goes up because it's all about energy. Everything goes up. But you look at the price of food where it's being doubled and tripled in some cases. But we've never seen anything like Putin's tax on both food and gas. But we've never seen anything like Putin's tax on both food and gas. Man, it's... Man, oh man, there you go. It's the Joe Biden moment of the day. He just can't stop. I mean, the blame, every he stutters. He, it's Putin. You know what I'd like to see someone say, but they will never do it? I'd love to see somebody say, um, you know, President Biden, you say the data. What data specifically? Do you know what he would do? Uh, I think that it's the data. The, the flies. <laughs> hey, welcome. Hey, I can't get enough of the Biden moment. I can't. I assume at some time we'll be... We'll be shut down here on YouTube and Twitter and everywhere else. But serious folks, serious folks know we're being lied to. The country's trying to be destroyed for this little green deal or something. I don't know. But you can't be this incompetent without having a bigger plan. You really can't. And uh, man, oh, man, you listen to that and you go, oh, come on. You can't buy that. Nobody with half a brain can buy that. But as they say here in Indianapolis, that's just a really nice man, a really nice elderly man. So, all right, welcome, welcome, and more welcome. Look, all we want is the truth. That's all we want. You know, when you turn on this show, you may not like me, but I don't think you would turn on the show if you didn't at least a little bit like me, or at least weren't a little bit intrigued. All we want is the truth, and we're not getting the truth. CNN has a new HMFIC, head mother in charge. The streaming service is gone now in April, down 43% in total primetime viewers, 54% in other demographics, 34% in day parts, 43% ages 25 to 54 versus March of 2021. Now look, here's the deal. I get it. We all get it. When you look at those numbers, what do you know has to happen? CNN has to have controversy. CNN must have controversy.
verse C. They must have something that they can build up to divide us. They must. They need an election where they can say orange bad, uh, crazy good, orange bad, senile good. They need it desperately, ladies and gentlemen, and they're not getting it. And when they don't get it, guess what? It goes down by a half their viewership. They're not going, let's put it this way. CNN is not where somebody goes to say, hey, look, it's a Tuesday night, Wednesday night in June. Uh, we're going to be done for the day. The summer solstice is over. We're in our pajamas at 1030, 930, whatever it is. Let's turn on CNN because we just want to see what happened during the day. That's not what you do. Nobody does that. Because if you turn on CNN, you know you're going to get ridiculous bias coverage that isn't going to show what's real. So people have caught on to that now. If you are a Democrat and you see something that happened in our society and you want to turn on a biased view, you turn on CNN. I mean, let's be honest. That's the way this goes. They've lost journalistic, I hate even saying that word, integrity. They have. Nobody turns it on to be entertained. Nobody turns it on to be informed. You turn it on to be enraged. And right now, they, you and I both know they're not going to give you enough honesty in terms of what is happening to our country that makes it worth your while to turn it on. That's what bias does. If I want to know what's happening in our country, I check out Fox News. I check out Twitter. I check out whatever. I don't even know where I go. In fact, I got to tell you, it's hard to find. But I don't go to CNN. I mean, damn, CNN, I don't even know if they've yet to report the fact that Judge Kavanaugh uh, had an assassination attempt against him. I don't know if they've reported the fact that there was a mass shooting in D.C. on Juneteenth. I mean, we don't go there because we don't get anything from it. Who's the personality? Brian Stelzer, some little round guy? Or the guy, what's his name? Anderson Cooper, who giggled or uh, squealed like a pig? Yeah! Oh, New Year's Eve taking a shot? A shot? Yeah! We want to watch that? Regular Americans, please. There might be, the, oh, remember, I got to go this route, not that route. There might be a 0.002% that identifies with Anderson Cooper taking a shot uh, with Andy What's-His-Face going, ew, this shot. Real Americans aren't like that. We got some satchel to us, man. You guys are nuts. All right. Look, the debate on whether the NFL is going to take into account 20 of the 24 dis, uh lawsuits being settled on Deshaun Watson. If you think they're not going to take that account, you're out of your mind. See, I've said this before and I'll say this again on this show. It was tracking that way bad for Deshaun Watson. Now it's tracking this way good. It's tracking down to where he's going to play. Now I don't think he's going to play in the first five games. I don't know what the ultimate penalty is going to be, but look, 20 of the 24 women have said we'll take a settlement, which means that Deshaun Watson's lawyer is going to paint those women as people that simply wanted money when he goes in front of the commissioner. Let's be honest. This is not a dumb man representing Watson. Now, he's got four more and four very determined women, and that should be enough to get you kicked out of the league, but it's not. 
You know, one has gotten kicked Trevor Bauer out of the Major League Baseball for two years. NFL is a little different. NFL just talks, right? NFL just says. NFL uh, aligns itself. NFL is a lot like our president. It aligns itself, but doesn't really do nothing. So we'll see what happens, but don't even come at me even a little bit. I mean a little bit. And try to say that Deshaun Watson settling 20 or 24 cases isn't going to be factored in. Don't tell me that two grand juries failing to indict Deshaun Watson isn't going to factor in. It should factor in. Of course it should factor in. you got to get to the bottom of it if you're Roger Goodell about why, why, why. Why is this happening? What's the real deal here? And look, Rusty Harden, pretty smart guy. He can spin it. And he'll spin it at least in front of whoever he's got to spin it, Goodell and others like Deshaun Watson was a victim of a money-grubbing scam. That's the, that's the way they'll spin this. You watch, you mark my words. A uh, friend of mine said this yesterday. Rob Gronkowski retired. Will Rob Gronkowski be the first person, male, to go out to stud, literally? <laughs> I just got a kick out of it, right? I'm sure it's offensive. Uh, what, do we, what do people say when things are offensive? It's offensive on so many levels. What does that mean? Seriously, what does that mean? It's offensive on so many levels, Doc. It's, okay, give me the levels. What is this, a Seinfeld episode? Levels. <laughs> Rob Gronkowski, uh, my wife went down to the family section with Teddy Karras in Foxborough after a game. Gronkowski came out, and my wife's like, hey, look, that is a big old handsome man. And there were women literally throwing themselves at him. Now, I don't know if we're supposed to say that, but hey, look, all of you purple-haired biggins uh, with 16 nose rings, and uh, you're not sure who you are, I got to tell you, men get attracted to women, and women get attracted to men, and if that's offensive, kiss my backside. <laughs> but there are women literally, like, taking their clothes off. Grog! Grog! And, uh, and not, well, it was jackets. It was cold. So he might be the first dude to literally just go out to stud. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he needs, a, he needs to date like one of these volleyball players that's just, you know, athletic and long and tall. Or one of these basketball players. And just, you know, create a Gronk race. Create a team of Gronks. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, when my wife comes back and says, Dan, I've never seen a specimen like this dude. He's freaking huge. But anyway, second only to Manning and Harrison in terms of Brady and Gronk scoring touchdowns. Uh, that isn't his best face, but he's fun. He's fun-loving. He's young. He's got a ton of cash. He's built like a brick you know what house. He may just populate an entire Gronk city. <laughs> he may be like, you know, I don't know, one of these racehorses. We just put him out to pasture. Telling you, congratulations to Gronk. Oh, it's offensive on so many levels. Yeah, level this. Uh, would you want Kyrie Irving leading your team? That's like saying, would you like my head of hair? My head of hair, non-hair is glorious, and I look like one zillion dollars. But really, if you had your options, you'd rather have a full head of hair. You'd rather have a Tom Cruise head going. I mean, Kyrie Irving, it looks glorious. It looks great. But why would you want that goof on your team? He doesn't show up. I mean, you got to listen to him. Seems like a really smart guy, truthfully. When I look at Kyrie Irving, when he's like, you know, 
being a human being, I like him. I like him a lot. But when he's not showing up and, and you know, he's conducting practices after the coach and he's saying things like, well, we don't need a coach. Yeah, I don't need it. It's hard enough to win when you've got really good players. It's hard enough to get a W in the NBA. Like, even the bad teams, you know, they may, they may be up five with three minutes to go. If I get Kyrie Irving, I'm trying to win a championship, and I got to tell you, at this point in his career, I don't need it. I'll tell you the easiest thing in the world. The easiest thing in the world was John Wall. John Wall said, oh, yeah, hey, uh, by the way, I'll accept the $47 million player buy-in. That guy, John freaking Wall. $47 million. That guy. There are five people outside of the city that he plays in, really, that even remember John Wall play. John Wall, $47 million. Let me break that down for you. Basically, $4 million a month. A month. Well, you know, you got to pay tax on that. Isaiah Thomas told Coach Knight and I years ago when he was running the Players Association that basically, basically 52 cents out of every dollar goes away. So he's, let's just say for the sake of argument, he's going to lose $24 million <laughs> for John freaking Wall, a guy whose own team didn't want to play him. I don't even know what happened last year. So the most obvious news of the day, all right, was John Wall saying, yeah, I'll opt in. Why not? <laughs> what is this guy doing on TV? <laughs> what is this? Ben Baby. Ben Baby, lighten up, baby. Uh, we're going to have Bart Andrus. He's the head coach of the Philadelphia Stars. Let me know when he's on. Um, are we going to take a break or are we good? $47 million for John Wall. The NBA is fantastic, baby. Man, I tell you what, China's paying nice. <laughs> if I were John Wall, do you think John Wall, let me ask you this, the YouTube chat. Uh, do you think that John Wall ever, like, had to have a conversation with his agent and said, um, hey, look, do you think I should take this? Can we get a better deal? Can we get like 90 million over two years somewhere else? 47 million. All right, we'll be right back. We're going to hook up with Coach Bart Andrus from the Philadelphia Stars. Yeah, yeah, the USFL playoffs are coming up this weekend. We got the Stars and the Generals. Don't at me, people. Don't at me. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, those of you that know our show know that we love us some football. Now, we live in basketball country. I coached basketball for a 1,000 years, but I don't care. I've always said this. Basketball players think they're tough. Football players are tough. And we got the USFL playoffs coming up on Fox this weekend. And we got Coach Brad Andrus 
from the Philadelphia Stars. Coach, thanks a lot. How much fun are you having coaching football right now? Oh, I mean, this is uh, this a, a lot of fun. This is what I what I love doing, and uh, especially with the with the kind of players that, uh, that that we have here in the USFL. These guys are they you know they they're 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 working to get that next contract. They're they're trying to add video to their resume, and they're just a joy to coach. Coach, I mean, you know, you coach long time. I mean, you've been in the NFL, you've yeah. been in Canada. Are there, are there a number of guys, or are there a short, small number, big number? What do you think in terms of guys uh, that may end up in a camp or could end up in the NFL at some point? Well, I, you know, the the number, I, you know, I can't really tell you the number. I know that during the during my years in NFL Europe, I I did eight years in NFL Europe after. Uh, coaching a, a few years in the NFL and we were we were placing it was about 12 percent at that time and I, I think that the play in this league is is every bit as good if not better than it than than what we had in NFL Europe and you know some of the guys that came out of, out of NFL Europe uh, Kurt Warner Adam Vinatieri uh, you know were some pretty good players that came out of NFL Europe so uh you know, I, I think it'll be fun to watch this unfold as as we as we finish up our championship uh, uh, two weeks up in uh, in in Canton, Ohio. Coach, I, I want to get to the games, but I, I want to hit on something that you said. You know, it, it it would appear to me anyway, and I coached college basketball for for a long time, and that's you know guys yeah. trying to reach a dream. I think it'd be fun to coach these guys. You mentioned it earlier. These are dudes that are working like crazy to, to win. They want to win a championship, right? right? There's a team. Yeah. But but also, yeah. you know, with a bigger goal in mind. Well, yeah, and and that's that's one of the first things that we talked about uh, when, when they arrived here for training camp in March was that if, you know, if you if – you, you'll get what you want out of your career if you help enough other people get what they want and um you know they focus in on their individual performance and job and assignment but if if and if they trust the other 10 guys they're on the field with then you succeed as a team and that's that's kind of the thing that uh that's been kind of our our whole model the whole year is that hey if if i do my job if i add to my resume every play that i'm on the field I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and doing it well, then it, we're going to allow our team to be successful. And so, it, you know, it's it, as a team sport, it's there, you have individuals playing, you know, for a group goal. And it, it, it's at this level of in this kind of player where, you know, we have guys that haven't made it yet. Some of them had a taste here and there uh, and they're all trying to get to that. And it's they're it's just a wonderful kind of player to coach, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally get that. You on, uh, on Saturday, you've got three o'clock on Fox. You've got the New Jersey yeah. generals who beat you the first right. time. Uh, all right. Let me, let me start with your team first. People just tuning yeah. in, they're going to watch the game. What, what do they see out of your team? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? Well, um, we, we have a, uh, an offense that's that's capable of scoring a lot of points. We're the we're the leader uh, in the USFL as far as points scored, um, and so you know I, I I hope and anticipate that that we'll carry that through. 
uh, that that you know people watching the game are going to see uh, the ball the, the ball cross the goal line. And I you know as a fan, I think that's something that you that you know, you tune in to watch scoring. You know, and um, then you know defensively, we 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 have the 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 league leader in interceptions. And, you know, the, it, but ironically, we haven't scored a touchdown yet on defense. So we've got a defense that's very motivated right now. And, and so hopefully we're going to see one of those interceptions or a you know, scooped fumbled return or something like that uh, result in a, in a defensive touchdown. We, so uh, you're going to see the best corner in the league. Leading inter- leading guy in interceptions. Uh, he didn't play last week in our game against New Jersey. We rested him. He has he had uh, earlier had a an ankle injury that uh, that we've been nursing along, and he's he's full go now. Uh, and then in, in our special teams game, you're going to see the the all USFL kick returner uh, be able to kick return kickoffs and, and punts. So a lot of action. We're anticipating a lot of action. And then on the New Jersey side. I tell you what, their running game—it's—it's it's the best in the USFL, and their two running backs are a great one-two punch. Uh, and so that's our challenge defensively is to is to try to button up their running game. Coach, when you start a new team, I want to get back to something uh, that you said. When you start a new team and you start a new league, yeah. and this is all new. You know, in baseball, they always say, you know, coming out of spring training, the pitchers are ahead of the hitters, that kind of thing. It, it, with your right. deal, is, was defense ahead of the offense? Was offense ahead of the defense? I, I think that usually, as a general rule, whether you have a new team or an old team in training camp, the defense usually comes out, they start out ahead of the offense. It takes the offense a little little time to to kind of gel and uh, get things to where everybody's firing on this, you know, we're, we're firing all cylinders. Uh, and I think that's pretty, pretty traditional. Uh, unless you have a guy like Brady or somebody that you know, he just knows everything and, and, and uh, is comfortable in the system. And, you know, but you, you saw that even with him when he first went to Tampa Bay, you know, it, it took him a while to get to hit his stride, so to speak. So, yeah, I, usually the defense comes they, – they start ahead. You know, the early games are usually lower scoring, and uh, then the offenses catch up, you know. So uh, – and that's usually – that's kind of what happened, well, throughout this league this year. Coach, I looked up Bart Andrus on – I've always said this about football coaches, man – You've been some places. Like, your coaching yeah. career, it's not like, hey, look, I was here and then here and now I'm here. Hey, if you look up Bart Andrus on Google, you're going to see a list of places like, Coach, you've been everywhere. I, I've coached at every level, put it that way. <laughs> you know, I started out yeah. as a high school coach and, and felt fortunate to be the high school coach, you know. So, um, <laughs> right. So I, 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 tell, I tell my team, I go, well, they, there's, there's not, I don't, I'm not sure you guys could present something I haven't seen, but every once in a while that happens. Like I saw our punter this year on a safety kickoff, punt it through the end zone. I've never seen that. My, I turned to the, one of my assistants on the side and I said, you know what? That's something I've never seen right there. He drove it 90 yards. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> 
So anyway, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, it, it's been it's been a but I tell you what, it's been a wonderful ride, you know, for me. Uh, I have great memories of uh, you know different places and and uh, you know my seven years in Amsterdam and NFL Europe or you know the Dutch people have a special place in my heart and and you know it's just been a lot of fun, you know, for me and I met a lot of a lot of good coaches along the way too, and that's always that's always fun. Hey, I'm going to put this up. I don't know if we can catch it on camera because uh, I'm not very good at this. But look, how <laughs> right, I'm sorry, over here. Look at all those places, man. That is – that's awesome. Yeah. What was your yeah. – look, I, you know, St. Patrick's High School in California, Humboldt State, all these places. Overseas, what, where, where did you like? If you were – you know, I'm sure your friends say, hey, coach – You've been all these places overseas. Where's your favorite place? What was your favorite place, Coach? Where has it been overseas? Um, I I really have uh, like a, a love of the city of Amsterdam. I mean, obviously, I was there for the longest period of time. We had we had really good success there. Uh, we went to back to back World Bowls. They uh, one of them we won the championship, and and uh, you know for. It was just—it was just a whole—the whole thing was a wonderful experience. Uh, uh, the the people that ran or worked in the hotel that we would stay in, you know, they became like family to us. And that you know, being able to 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 have it, to me, football is about relationships, and to have to have those kind of relationships in your you know in your work also was was really something that was special. Uh, so, you know, I'd say that, you know, if I, if, if somebody said, Hey, you can go to Europe and what city you want to go to that, that's where I'd want to go. So I could, you know, basically visit family. So. Coach, you know, when you're a college coach, you recruit everywhere. I, I got to ask you, cause I, I've never heard of this school, Feather River College. Yeah, that was, a. Uh, that was I, I wanted to see what it was like. I was asked by a you know a friend of mine if, if if that was kind of a five month deal where I would hey you come in and uh, can you can you help us out? We're in a pinch. We lost our coach and uh, that is a beautiful place. It's in the Sierra Nevada mountains, uh, kind of up above. Uh, you know, due west would be Chico, California. So it's in it's it's actually the city of Quincy was closer to Reno, Nevada you know, uh, through the mountains, uh, beautiful area. And, and it was like, Hey, well, I've never, I've never experienced that level. I need to experience that level. And so that was an opportunity to do that and, and do it for, for a short period of time, which is what I wanted to do at the time. Well, I got to tell you, I have a good friend that lived, uh, lives in Logan, Utah, and what a beautiful place, yeah. man. That's where you're from, and you've been, you've been everywhere. So, Coach, good luck on Saturday, man, 3 o'clock on Fox. Good luck to you and your team, and thanks for spending a few minutes with us. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. It's our pleasure. That's, that's Coach Bart Andrus. <laughs> Uh, if I said Brad, I don't know what's wrong with me, but Bart Andrus, the head coach of the Philadelphia Stars, look, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing a terrific man, terrific coach, been a lot of different places, and uh, nice enough to come on with us. So I'm telling you, I never heard of it. Uh, St. Patrick's High School, BYU, Humboldt State, Montana State, Southern Utah, Rocky Mountain, the Oilers, the Oilers, the Titans, the Rhine Fire, the Amsterdam Admirals, back to the Titans, the Argonauts in Toronto, Omaha, Omaha, the Rams, 
Feather River, Spring League, Team 9, TSL Generals, Ottawa GGs, and the Philadelphia Stars. There you go. That's a hell of a resume. Football coaches are wacky like that. All right, thanks to Coach Bart. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. It is, ladies and gentlemen, What the Hell Wednesday. That's right. What the Hell Wednesday right now on the big show. Let me give you a what the hell. Look, I understand you got to raise money. I understand you're always raising money when you're a politician, but look at this. So according to the Washington Post, the Women's Leadership Forum is set to host Kamala Harris at an event. In California, her home state, in late June, and is going to drop their photo op prices from, get this, $15,000 to $5,000. Now, I got to ask you, seriously, I got to ask you, in this idiotic economy, economy that she and her president, Joe Biden, have established, who in the hell has an extra $15,000 to throw, or $5,000 now, to throw at this goof? I'll wait. I mean, you, you know how much money you must have and how much ego you must have? Or maybe you're just trying to support the Democratic Party, and that's fine. That's what people do. They give a lot more than $15,000, and there's all these different ways around them. Um uh, there is a separate forum event was supposed to be held in May featuring Harris, but it was canceled over lack of ticket sales. There you go. Uh, look at this. MSNBC, that beautiful woman, Joy Reid, recently commented that Harris's declining connection with the American people has been an issue created by the white and male-driven media. Really? So the media is at fault for anything this clown has done? Yes, I agree. It couldn't be incompetence. It couldn't be that the person in charge of our borders, oh, by the way, hasn't been to the border. (laughs) It couldn't be that every time she claps, she looks like an idiot. It couldn't be that every time she speaks, she sounds like an idiot. Uh, I don't know. She's got the lowest approval rate of any vice president in the country at 28% ever. Not in the country, ever. That ain't white guy media. That ain't white guy media, Joy. I get it, baby. I get it. We all got to blame the white guy. The white media guy. We got to blame him. Bad guy. All right, fine. Whatever you think. Who cares? It doesn't affect me what y'all say. However, if you think that the media is against Biden, Harris, and the Democrats, you ain't been paying attention. It's the most sucking up to media ever. Can you imagine? Hey, I really want a photo op with Camilla Harris. That'll be 15 grand. 15 grand. I can spend damn near three months in freaking Naples, Florida over the winter. Instead of taking a picture with some goof. I get it, though. You want to help your party. Uh, they did. They had to postpone a major fundraiser to the DNC. Why would you possibly, possibly go to see that woman speak? All right. Remember she said that uh, African-Americans were enslaved for 400 years? Interesting stuff. Good for you, Camilla. Keep doing your thing, baby. 
Keep doing your thing. Uh, a British man was turned away from giving blood. All right. Maybe there's a problem. No, there wasn't a problem. A British man was turned away from giving blood because he would not answer the idiotic question of, is he pregnant? Yeah, that's right. Like, are you pregnant as a dude? That's literally where we're at right now. That's where we're at. Are you pregnant? Like, look, I get it. We're all supposed to have these, um, what's the right word? We're all supposed to have, you know, all of these little goofy things that we're supposed to call ourselves or not call ourselves. But I had to tell you, if I walk into Dr. Rink's office and they ask me, are you pregnant? I think I'm just going to say, yeah. I mean, you can't really see it, but there's a belly here. I'm just going to say, yeah, I'm a little bit knocked up. Somebody got me good. We weren't wearing condoms. Next thing you know, you know what? You got me. (laughs) See how that goes. You know, that would be, well, test results show you're not pregnant. Oh, really? Huh. Oh, I I didn't know that. Uh, I thought maybe that I was. Wait, wait, you're sure? I mean, where did I get this belly from? The fact that I eat nachos 24-7, I don't know why that would possibly factor in. How could that be? It would seem to me, do that next time. Do that next time that you're going to the doctor's office and say, you know what, I identify as a tree. You know what, I identify as a paperclip. Get your pronouns on me right. I want to be called PC. PC Dan Dockage, paperclip Dan Dockage. Why did I say paperclip? There's a paperclip sitting over here. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine the world that we're living in if this were 20 years ago? Where a man, hey, look, dude just wants to go give blood. Dude's been giving blood. He wants to give blood. Next thing you know, they're like, yeah, you can't give blood. Why can't I give blood? Well, you didn't answer the question if you're pregnant. I'm a dude. It's really quite amazing. He's in his 60s. His name is Leslie Sinclair. He has given 125 pints of blood over the past five decades. But his last trip... He was told to fill out a form that asked if he was expecting a child or had been pregnant in the last six months. After noting that he is male, the clinic staff said they could not accept his blood unless he provided an answer despite a push by officials to attract new blood donors. So it was more important that this guy have to answer an idiotic question as a male that, are you pregnant? than it is to get blood to people that need blood as evidenced by having a blood drive. That's how asinine these people are. That's how asinine the world that we live in is. You want to be a pregnant male? Go be a pregnant male. Do your thing. But why do we all got to listen to it? Why do we all got to, you know, why do we all got to get shamed for it? Oh, man, sometimes my ass hurts, and it's hurting right now. What else we got today? Oh, yeah, 
Qatar bans single World Cup fans from having sex. Wait a second. That's the wrong way. All right. Hold on. Did I do it backwards? That's the next one. There we go. Qatar, which is where the World Cup is, bans fans from having sex. You could face seven years in jail. Now, let me ask you a question. We, we, we're all out of our minds right now, right? We're all out of our minds on the live tour and Phil Mickelson's a bad guy. Why are we having the World Cup in Qatar? I'll tell you exactly why we're having the World Cup in Qatar. Itch, baby, bread, scratch, cashola, straight cash, homie. That's the only reason. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, you're going to face seven years in jail if you hook up. Now, you got to understand something about soccer and Olympics and all these different things. Uh, basically, athletes get to these things and they start banging. Hey, the College World Series, guys that I know to work the College World Series, the lobby is full of opportunity for the college basketball players. That's one one-hundredth of what goes on in Olympic Village. I've been fortunate enough to know a ton of Olympians, and they're like, yeah, well, why do you think they give out condoms at the Olympic Village? So we're going to go to Qatar, a play, and I'm going to get into this just for a second, a place where premarital sex is illegal. We got a no-bone district. If you want to go and you're not married, you can't get it done. That's right. The Daily Star is reporting fans could face up to seven years. Sex is very much off the menu unless you're coming as a husband and wife team. There definitely will be no one-night stands at this tournament. There's essentially a sex ban in place at this year's World Cup for the first time ever. Fans need to be prepared. There also won't be much, you know, partying going on. Alcohol is a no-no. So don't be surprised, in my opinion, don't be surprised if the players are fighting on the field. There's going to be some pent-up stuff on the field. There's going to be some stuffs, as in fisticuffs. Look, I am my girlfriend. I don't have a girlfriend. I have a wife. But if I'm going there, a bunch of dudes, we want to go to the pub, have a few pints. Next thing you know, something, you know, bada-bada-bang. Have a little sex. Man, hey, what are you in jail for? Ah, I lopped off my parents' heads. What are you in jail for? Ah, I kidnapped seven people and killed them. What are you in jail for? Oh, man, I, I, I was drunk, hooked up with another uh, drunk girl, and we had sex, and now I'm in jail here, and she's in jail over there. That <laughs> Man, all right. And I got to tell you, these are young athletes, and and worth a lot of money. And just so us Americans understand it, like we think we have popular athletes over here. We don't have squat compared to like a dude named Ronaldo and these other guys. We don't have Jack. We got nothing. <laughs> no banging, no drinking, and there's going to be some fisticuffs, I guarantee you. Hey, man. 
Dude's walking around Qatar. Soccer players had the greatest hair in the world. Handsome men. Hot women. Came to see the handsome men. You're telling me there's no banging? Well, let me ask you guys this. What's the over-under? Like, is the over-under five and a half on uh, people that get caught banging? I don't know if it's five and a half. But there are going to be some people caught because you can't stop nature. There used to be a commercial, you can't fool with Mother Nature. Young dudes, young women, high testosterone, a lot of energy, there's banging. I don't know, man. A lot more than seven years has been lost over sex, so we'll see what happens. All right. Can't believe that. Why? Let me. All right. Let me just read something to you. Hang on here. Hang on, caller. Uh, FIFA corruption. Why would they go to a place where it's illegal to party and have sex? Several walks of life are not permitted in Qatar. Though word of mouth, I've heard a man and a woman can't stay in the same hotel unless they're married. Different surnames require couples to get different rooms. Uh, an 800 and a 180 from the previous World Cup. This, ladies and gentlemen, is an actual Burger King ad from the previous World Cup. Here it comes. Here it comes. Yeah. Get impregnated by World Cup stars and win free Whoppers. That's right. Now. Burger King apologized. No need to apologize. Look, you get knocked up by Ronaldo. I don't even know too many soccer players, so what do I know? But you get knocked up, you're going to get a lot more than Burger King. You're going to get a lifetime of riches. That's how uh, women have told me they think. Now, you can say, but sexist. I'm just telling you what it is. Uh, They apologized for a poor taste ad campaign posted on an official, official Russian social media account. Now, this is from the last World Cup. Uh, The burger chain announced a promotion on VK, the Russian equivalent of Facebook, offering women 3 million Russian rubles, which is 47,000 American dollars, and a lifetime supply of Whoppers if they get impregnated by football players competing in the World Cup. Shortly after this campaign was announced, they pulled the ad. They apologized. Uh, you know, okay. All right. And it showed a pregnant woman cradling her pregnant belly. (laughs) So do you think maybe, I don't know. Do you think just maybe they're overcorrecting by going to Qatar? No, they're going to Qatar because of money. The king or queen, whatever the hell the rules Qatar is paying a boatload of scratch. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Apparently, Burger King has a global track record of misogynist marketing. In Singapore, listen to this, they, Burger King advertised a seven-inch burger with overly sexual imagery and a tagline saying, it'll blow your mind away. The model said uh, she had no idea that her image was going to be used that way. I, I don't know what to tell you. Personally, you know this, I'm not a porn guy. But I like a double entendre. I like innuendo. I learned it. One of the few things I learned in college, freshman year English class, I learned about phallic symbols. (laughs) 
So Burger Whopper wanted you to get all knocked up. And guess what? You get knocked up, baby. We're going to do something nice. 47K. <laughs> Jeez, what? I'm telling you, the world we live in is a glorious, glorious place. And if that isn't a what the hell, right? If that isn't a what the hell, I don't know what we have here going on. All right, you know, like in the world we live in, guy like me, 58-year-old, 59-year-old white guy, says he won't go sleep or won't go swimming in a pool with some idiotic professor, female, that he doesn't know and says, well, I'm married, so I don't want to go swimming in a pool. He gets, a, they tried to cancel me. Whereas dope-smoking gang member Snoop Doggy Dog becomes an icon. Snoop Doggy Dog says, hey, look, I'm a man of my people. And his people include, get this, a full-time blunt roller. Hey, let's put Snoop on ESPN and then pontificate. <laughs> Snoop's given a raise to his full-time blunt roller and cites inflation as the reason. He actually did this June 7th on Twitter. He confirmed that the person keeping, quote, his bud perfectly rolled received pay increases. Listen to this. The artist, Snoop, responded to an Uber fax that shared that his full-time blunt roller, who initially made 40 grand a year, now earns 50 grand a year. And Snoop said the salary went up. That's right. Now, 2019, Snoop Double G-U-C went on Stern and said, yeah, I got a full-time blunt loader. That's his J-O-B, his occupation. On his resume, it says, what do you do? I'm a blunt roller. B-P-B-R, professional blunt roller. I've never rolled a blunt. I've never smoked a blunt. I ain't mad at people that roll blunts. I ain't mad at people that smoke blunts. So there you go. <laughs> oh, man. What a world we live in. Snoop Double G. Snoop Double G, you see, is paying dudes 50K to roll blunts. You know what I never hear? I always hear athletes make too much money, right? I always hear that. I always hear how this guy, that guy, they make too much money. I never hear how rappers make too much money. I never hear why, you know, music artists makes too much money. I always hear, you know, these corporate heads make too much money. Did you know that one of, if not the least reliable players in the NBA, Malcolm Brogdon, makes $30 million a year to play like 35 games to 50 games out of 82 a year. I never hear anybody bitch about him making too much money. I hear about corporate executives. So the head of Eli Lilly, who, by the way, oversees drug company, major, maybe the major drug company, drug company has, oh, I don't know, zillions of employees, any misstep, could cost people their 401ks. He makes about 12 million a year. But I never hear people complaining about that 1%. It's always rich white dudes 
It's always rich white dudes that are running corporations. Oh, the CEO. Really? Malcolm Brogdon makes $30 million a year. Now, I'm going to go and listen to somebody tell me why that is. Rich white dude makes $12 million a year. Overseas, 16,000 employees. A drug company that's worth billions. He's the 1%. He's the worst human being alive. Basketball player who plays in roughly half of his team games. Makes, oh, I don't know, two and a half times that. That's great. Somebody explain that. We all know why. But it is somewhat fascinating, is it not? It's a little, you got to admit, it's a little fascinating when the head of Eli Lilly, now maybe I got this wrong, maybe it's up to 25, maybe it's even 30 million, I don't know. But last I looked, it was like 12 million. He don't even come close to old John Wall making 47 and a half million, but ain't nobody going to bitch about Johnny Wall. Look at Jennifer hugging on Snoop Dogg. Look, I'm a big fan of Snoop Dogg. I'm a huge fan of Snoop Dogg. California knows how to party. Was that Tupac or Snoop Dogg? I don't know, but I like the song. Snoop, double G-U-C. I got no problem with Snoop Dogg. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, 50 grand to roll your blunt and then ESPN tries to moralize, at least against guys like me? Child, please. Uh, as we get going on the show, I'm going to talk to you about something. I'm going to talk to you about the draft. I'm going to talk to you about a number of things. I also have my top five. I like my top five lists. My top five list this week is going to include detective shows. But before we get to that, a serious note. This is something that I just, you know, we got to get a handle on. Five major U.S. cities. Think about this. Five major U.S. cities. Um, are currently on pace to break their homicide record from an incredibly violent 2020 and 2021. Those cities, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Milwaukee, and Atlanta have all seen homicide numbers outpace already this year, their numbers from 2021, which in those cities was all-time records. I mean, it really is unbelievable. Indianapolis, I don't know, man. Can we break our all-time record from last year? That was unbelievable. I'm going downtown Indianapolis tonight to do a show at 6 o'clock, and I got to tell you, I don't like being downtown Indianapolis. I don't mind being on Meridian Street, but I don't like being on downtown Indianapolis. You know, one of the reasons is we just let people do whatever the hell they want to do. There was a mass shooting at in D.C. at a Juneteenth festival that the, the festival didn't have a license, didn't have a permit, but they had this festival. People lost their minds. A 15-year-old was dead, and you barely hear about it. The nation's capital, 93 homicides as of June 17th, compared to 82 at this point last year. That's 13.4 increase. Uh, Atlanta, crime increased. Homicides of June 11, 68 compared to 60. That's a 13%. in Baltimore, 7.5% in L.A. I mean, it ain't slowing down, people. I mean, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but for some reason, a bunch of folks in Chicago on one of the main drags downtown decided to surround a car and beat the hell out of some old people. You know, at some point, I don't know, if if we're not going to defend uh, 
ourselves publicly, then maybe we got to defend ourselves privately. I don't know. But I know this. I'm getting a gun. I got a gun. Never had a gun. Never wanted to have a gun. Never had any interest in having a gun. Gun scared me. When I was a little kid, uh, my neighbor's friends, the younger boy shot, or the, yeah, the younger boy shot the older boy and killed him because the gun was unlocked in the house. That was when I was like seven. And I got to tell you, I don't want a gun, but I got one now because this world is nuts. And I live in a city, Indianapolis. You know, we always, and I say this all the time, we always let the punks rule the roost. You know, everybody, and I've, I've always wondered why this was. I mean, even when I was in high school, everybody thought the punks were cool. I always thought they were punks. I'm sure I've got the wrong way to look at it, but I don't understand why. Nor, like, you look in my neighborhood. My neighborhood isn't a rich neighborhood. It's a nice neighborhood. It's a middle class, upper middle class neighborhood. And everybody there is good people. And it's kind of a, you know, there's African-Americans, there's white guys, there's all kind of different people. I don't know why if crime got bad in our neighborhood, we just all wouldn't sit out with a gun at night. I don't. And say, look, we got, I don't know, 1,000 people living in the neighborhood. I don't even know. We got three people trying to jack us up. No, it ain't happening. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just makes sense. I mean, you know, lights go out, sun goes down. Next thing you know, we're all supposed to cower because three punks decide they want to break into your house and terrorize you. I don't think that's right. I think that, that, that you know what, we got to protect ourselves. Seems like to me, hey, I don't know. I'm just telling you what I think. I mean, it's about time, isn't it? I, I, you know. So long story short, you can get mad, glad, angry, or sad at me, but I never wanted to have a gun, but I went to a shooting range, bought a gun. I don't know what to tell you. Wish I didn't. But in my city, in your city, if you live in a city, I guarantee you, man, you're just one bad drive. Even on Main Street, people surrounding your car, jumping on them, beating you. What, what's that about? But if you step on the gas, though, unless, of course, well, if you look like me and you step on the gas and you hit somebody, you're going to jail. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, Dan, I go downtown Indy in the canal all the time with my family, kids, and all. We have a blast. No problem. Stay at home if you're scared. Okay. Hey, that's good. Uh, that's great. A lot of people been shot in the canal. I don't think I'm scared. I just don't need it in my life. You know what I mean? I don't think I'm scared. Well, you know, I'm not about scared. I mean, <laughs> my pastime used to be go down to third and uh, Broadway and talk to the hookers at Buckingham Hotel and Gary. It's not about being scared. It's just simply about like, why do I need it? Will you go? Down? I guarantee you. I will bet you money. This guy that put that out there doesn't do that. I'll bet you money. Or if he does, he does it in the middle of the day. I'll bet you anything. Because people like to. One thing I've learned is people always think the punks are cool and they like to act tough. Hey, man, I ain't scared of nothing. I, I, you know. Uh, so, anyway, that's the world that we live in. I've got five, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five detective shows that I think are the best ever. That's right. I ain't married to these. So, if you want to change them, let's go. But I got to tell you, I got five, and I like them. Be right back. It's a Wednesday, baby. I got five of the best TV detective shows ever coming up next. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back. Yeah, the out care, or excuse me, the, uh, the YouTube chat is pumping. A lot of discussion. 
Uh, I have got, go to youtube.com, search Outkick Dan Dockage or Dan Dockage Outkick. Hell, I don't know. But you'll join a lot of crazy people in there, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, all right, here's the deal. I like lists. I don't like Mount Rushmore's, but I like lists. So let's talk some lists, all right? Five best detective shows in the history of television. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. There was a time when I watched a lot of detective shows. So if you go about the business of watching modern detective shows, you'd probably be mad at me. But number five, ladies and gentlemen, that's right. Number five should be number one, actually, after much thought. When I put that out, I went, all right. Number five is Columbo. See, oh, yeah, and uh, just another thing. Peter Falk always had you. Like, you thought you had Peter Falk. You didn't have Peter Falk. Peter Falk, who was Columbo, let me tell you what Peter Falk did as Columbo. He set you up. He's sniffing around. He's looking like that. Now, look at that face. Great hair. Disheveled coat, right? Always had the trench on. Always kind of like, hey, what do you think out there? And then, bam! It was you that did it. And you're always sitting there waiting, right? You're always like, who does Columbo think that it is? Who's Columbo going to get? And when I would watch it with my father... On, I think it was Sunday nights. I could be wrong, but I think it was. We always were like, all right, I think it's that guy. Because it was never the guy, right? It was never the guy. Now, modern, you couldn't do this show. You can't do any of these shows. Because let's be honest, in the world that we live in, you can't write shows that are just what actually kind of sort of happens. And writing is horrible. Think about the movies that we get. They're all remakes. The shows that we get are all remakes or they're woke so that they put them on TV and nobody bitches at ABC or Disney and nobody complains. I mean, we all get that. But shows that actually were real and really well written, like Columbo, just don't exist anymore and it's awesome. When he, and and one more thing, you thought you were in the clear and then he came back and gotcha. Yeah, he did. Now, this is a comedy, my next one. Barney Miller. My father loved Barney Miller. Barney Miller was a comedy that, I don't know, it got to number one. I don't know. And if you look at the cast right there, there's your diversity, ladies and gentlemen. The dude on the right to the dude on the left were some of the funniest human beings and well-written ever. Ever. Now, I'm sure there is, again, somebody that says, well, it was sexist, it was racist, it was misogynist, it was homophobic. Yes, it probably was, and we laughed our backside off. We did. I'm sorry. We did. We just laughed. I mean, look, we didn't worry about whether or not it was this, that, or the other, and maybe, just maybe, it's a better world because of how it is now. I don't know, but it ain't better TV. Because those guys were funny as hell. Ron Glass is Ron Harris. Hilarious. He's the black guy in the middle. 
the stocky white dude on the left, that was Woj, moron. No, enthusiastic, but a moron. And then, of course, Abe Vigoda, who was fish, was the old salty guy, right? He was the old man, the Italian. Remember him in, in uh, The Godfather? And then, of course, ladies and gentlemen, Jack Sue, who played Nick. He would be the Asian guy. Are we allowed to say this? I mean, I said Italian. I said dumb white guy. I said black guy. I mean, oh, my God, my head's going to explode. Oh, my God, the terminology words hurt. But my man Jack Sue, boom, he would hit you. He would come in, and he would hit you. Then Steve Landisberg was in there, too, later on. Hilarious. The entire cast was hilarious. And, of course, Barney Miller, Hal Linden, you know, he had kind of a Middle Eastern look. This is your first totally diverse, first totally woke show, but it didn't talk woke. They were able on Barney Miller, go look at it, to make fun of each other and not have RG3 or, uh, or Mark Jones or whoever bitch at you. Ron Glass would have come back at you and said, shut up, it's just comedy. That was funny. It was really funny. Like, I didn't get it at first, but I like subtle humor. I got it later on, and it was awesome. Yeah. Don't at me, people. Barney Miller was good stuff. Barney Miller's still good stuff. In fact, I'm going to watch Barney Miller tonight. Barney Miller deserves my full attention. And let me tell you something else. Look at the fashion. You know, Woj had the old thing. They had, I'll tell you what they had. I think it was... Uh, uh, guy in the middle glass. I think he wore the loud plaid sport coats. That's right. If you didn't have a loud plaid sport coat back in the day, what the hell were you doing? See Robert Montgomery Knight. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's good stuff. All right, show me who's next. <laughs> who's next on this? Because I'm having a little trouble with my printout. Oh, man. So I don't know where this FBI show is, but I got to tell you something. When I was a kid, all right, when I was a kid, this show, the FBI, was on Sunday nights, and it went through real crimes, and it scared the bejesus out of me. And I don't mean just a little bit. I mean, the FBI on Sunday nights, first off, a lot of us were depressed. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. was the name of the guy. What a name. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. He was the host. And I got to tell you, he would literally take you through like real life shows. Now, this is from 2018. It's the FBI cast. And that's fine. That's great. But I'm telling you, the FBI show back in the 70s and the 80s uh, scared the living hell out of you. And I'll tell you why. Because at the end of it, they would show America's 10 most wanted. 
This show ran from 1965 to 1974. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., Phil Abbott, and William Reynolds. It chronicled a group of FBI agents trying to defend the U.S. government from unidentified threats. This is how dumb I am. I thought it was real. And then what they did, ladies and gentlemen, they showed it to you. They showed it to you on Sunday night. Now, I want you to think back. Even now, if you have kids and school is on, Sundays are hard nights, right? I mean, Fridays, everybody's excited. Kids are out of school. They're running around. I don't know. They got a game. They got something. They're going to go, you know, sniff around pure poly purebred or pure poly purebred's going to sniff around Joey Bag of Donuts. You know what I mean. Kids are going to be kids. And then it's Saturday. They get to sleep in, play video, whatever. Watch sports, run around, doesn't matter. Go shopping. I don't know what kids do now. And then Sunday comes. They're pissed off because they got to go to church. But they come home, they get to hang out, they eat. Maybe some family members come over, they watch football. And then when everything's over, at least back in the day, now you got Sunday night football. But back in the day when 60 Minutes came on, it was like, why would you watch this? It was depressing. You usually had to do your homework. Then you had to go to bed knowing that you had to wake up early for school on Monday. So all this happens, and you're depressed as hell because it's Sunday night. And then they show it to you. The 10 most wanted list. Joey Bag of Donuts, murder. And however they said it. Susie Rottencrotch, horrible, uh, you know, kidnapping, lopping their head off. And I would always look because I was a scared kid. I, in my neighborhood, there were murders and stuff. I didn't live in a bad neighborhood, but there was some stuff. And I always wanted to see if anybody was close to us. Like, I was always hoping they were in Spokane, Washington, or Arizona, or Florida, or New York City. I mean, those places seemed like a thousand miles to me. But, man, then I'd go to bed scared to death. Depressed. It was every Sunday night. And I wasn't smart enough to leave the room. Actually, I did sometimes. Actually, I'm like, yeah, I ain't watching this. <sighs> good times, good times. I told my mother this about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. She goes, well, we never knew that. We're just watching the show. I go, I know. I know. But that show terrorized me. Hey, I'm not mad at my parents. I don't blame them. I mean, what do I care? But I got to tell you, it absolutely 1,000% terrorized me like no show ever had. Do you have one like that? Do you have one that just crushed your soul? <laughs> the Wizard of Oz used to do that to me too, but I'm kind of a you know, sissy. I know. Uh, all right, what's next? Number two. The number two cop show of all time in Danny Dockage world is? Oh, yeah, you see that car? The Rockford Files. Now, let me explain something to you about Jim Rockford. First off, I wanted that car. I didn't kind of want that car. I wanted that car. Instead, what did I get? A 74 gold duster with a Cobra top. Now it would be a big car. Back then, no. But I wanted that car, and I wanted those white wheels, and I wanted to go fast like Jim frickin' Rockford did. 
Damn it, James Garner was the man. Always in a pickle. He was always, he was like, if you watched Batman shows uh, earlier in the world, I didn't just pick my ear, by the way, and flick it. I just, you know. Uh, anyway, but if you watch Batman shows, Batman and Robin were always in a pickle. There was a cutting machine that was going to slice him in two, and then he got to his belt, and, you know. Jim Rockford was always in a pickle, but I'll tell you one thing Jim Rockford did, and I want you to listen to this, kids. I don't think there's really any kids watching this, but if there are, any of you ever get in trouble and someone's following you, maybe this is common sense. Maybe I didn't have common sense. Drive to the police station. Of all the Rockford file shows, him living in a non-permitted, by the way, because he was always threatened, uh, trailer house, and Rocky, his dad, would come over with his baseball cap and then Stuart Margolis, the private detective who later became a doctor in MASH or vice versa. But anyway, uh, always drive to the police station. So one night, I was by myself. Some cats were following me. I don't know why, but I used to get that a little bit uh, in Gary. So some guys were following me, and I did it. I did what Jim Rockford did. The, the police station in Merrillville was off 79th. And it was just this kind of a house kind of thing. I just drove into the back and watched them go on. Jim Rockford was smart. Jim Rockford was a god. Jim Rockford was everything every man should be. That's right. Square jaw, high hair. He was fantastic. And he drove that car. And ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you, if you're driving that car and you're going fast, you're a badass. You are. You're an American badass, and you should be treated as such. And if you're not treated as such, then I got a problem with you. I do. I got a problem with you. Because I watched it the other day. I watched it the other day, and yes, it's hokey. Yes, 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 and yes. Right? Of course it is. But I got to tell you, still pretty damn good. Still pretty. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. And he always gets the bad guy. Like, nobody ever clips him. He gets punched. He was getting slapped the other day by a mafia's, by uh, two guys that were mafia kingpins bodyguards. One guy became a star. I can't remember his name. But I'm sitting there watching him. Rockford's getting slapped. And he didn't care. Jimmy Rock, baby. Jimmy Rock. Pretty strong dude. He's the man. All right. Let me go to something else. First and foremost, Hill Street Blues. Yep. I'm going to go with Hill Street Blues. Now, look at that cast. How about that cast? We had diversity. I mean, if you listen to the world today, we never had nothing but all white guys. That ain't true. Hill Street Blues was diversity. Hill Street Blues was a show. Here's why I liked Hill Street Blues. All right. Hill Street Blues chronicled the lives of a staff at a police station. All right. They didn't give you the city. I always assumed it was New York. So you got the lives of these cops. Now, there's two things that I like. I like cop movies and I like uh, prison movies. All right. But here's the deal. It continues. Like, I like shows that continued. 
I like shows that were, I guess, soap operas, I guess you could say. I like things like, I don't know. You had to watch the one to know the other. You didn't have to. You could catch it in the middle. But it kind of was one of those things where you just you, you, you just had to know. Like, and I like that. I don't I don't dislike that. I, I think that stuff is fantastic. And it was so well written. What's that guy's name? Bronco? So well written. And Daniel Travante was the main man. And then you had Betty Thomas. Remember Betty Thomas? Betty Thomas, Michael Warren. Michael Warren, great basketball player at UCLA from Michigan City, Indiana, captain of teams. Ed Marinara, something for Joey. Do you remember Ed Marinaro? Ed Marinaro was a great running back, I think at Cornell, and he ends up winning the Heisman Trophy, and he gave one of the all-time great speeches. I'm looking on here to see where Ed Marinaro is. I think he's up, I don't know, in that picture. I don't know where Ed Marinaro is. I don't know. Like, I'm not smart enough to know. But Ed Marinaro was the man. Dennis Franz was Norm. It, I don't know. To me, Jeffrey Tambor, upper left up there. Jeffrey Tambor is in one of the great shows of all time, Larry Sanders. Hey, now. Tambor, I guess. I don't know. But I got to tell you, watching Hill Street Blues was a pleasure. My wife told me one time, she goes, Dan, I am a pleasure to hang around. Oh, yeah. Did I not mention Victoria Hamill? There she is right there in the front. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was. Don't at me, people. Because Victoria Hamill, who was in the series from the start till about 87, became a heartthrob of most, if not all of us. Bruce Whites, you've seen in everything. I, I'm just telling you, look up Bruce Whites, you'll see him in everything. But in my opinion, that's the best cop show ever. So let's review. All right, we got Columbo, and I think I'm wrong about Columbo. I think Columbo should be in the top two. I actually said yesterday, you know what? I'd put Columbo in the top five. I think he's got to be in the top two. We have these big staff meetings about this. I mean, the, the, the number of opinions that go into this is unbelievable. But look, Peter Falk was incredible as Columbo. All right, let's go to number four. Let's just review Barney Miller, the funniest cop show ever. Uh, give me another one. The funniest cop show ever. And remember... When you hear about, well, there's never been any diversity. Right there. At least there was there. Number three, the FBI show. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. scared the absolute dog out of me. He did on Sunday nights. So big props to Ephraim. Number two, Jim Rockford and the Rockford Files, just because they had great characters. He was always in a pinch. <laughs> and the number one, Hill Street Blues. Just good. Just entertaining. Yeah, I don't know. Make up your own list. I'm going to go to the YouTube chat and see who they think and how wrong I am. But I like that list. I ain't mad at that list. 
Um, and as you go through your own list, you know, is what it is. I'm not mad at it. I will tell you this, though. Um, the writing in every one of those shows, like nothing we see now, and I'll keep saying that. You know, there are a lot of people really smart, right? We got to listen to them in Hollywood because, well, you know, they're really smart. And, you know, if you listen to those guys, you're going to get really smart. No, no, no. The writing now is so much better than what the writing has ever been. It ain't even close. That writing, I'm sorry, is so much better then than it is now, and it ain't even close. I mean, it's not even close. Oh, I see. Uh, people did like Miami Vice. Yeah, I never watched a single episode of Miami Vice. I didn't. Cops, a lot of people like cops. A lot of people like Matlock. I get it. Stay safe out there, people. Stay safe out there. Look, Globetrotter says his grandma had a big crush on James Garner. Let me tell you something. Everybody had a big crush on James Garner. Men wanted to be James Garner. Women wanted to be with James Garner. He was a badass. I mean, an American badass. Yeah, he was. He was. I mean, a lot of people like Kojak. That was my dad's favorite. Almost put it on there, but I got to tell you. When he did that, who loves you, baby, with the popsicle, I thought it was cheesy. I, I, I thought Kojak didn't do anything for me. I thought it was cheesy. Who loves you, baby? Like, okay. You know those Greek men? I knew a lot of Greeks, good friends of Greeks. Demetrius Damascus, one of my good friends. They run hot. They're lovers. <laughs> but I just didn't have time for who loves you, baby? No, no. No, I didn't have time. Uh, I did want to get to this, and I don't think we have a graphic for it. This is a combination of what the hell, and are people just idiots? I'll show you this. This can't be real, can it? If you can read that, I don't know. I was loveless before I married a rag doll. Yeah. And now we have a baby. Washington Post. I was loveless when I married a rag doll. A woman in Brazil, 37 years old, complained to her mother about being single and stressed about not having a dance partner in an attempt to clear cheer her daughter up. Listen to this. Her mother made her a rag doll named Marcelo. When my mom made Marcelo and first introduced me to him, I fell in love with him. It was love at first sight. All right. All right, good for her. She married a ragdoll. And it shows her laying on the ragdoll. He's the man I always wanted in my life. After being together for several years, she said she was pregnant. It's true. He didn't use a condom. He got me pregnant. I took the test. It was positive. I couldn't believe it. Not wanting to have a, marry, uh, a baby out of wedlock, they decided to make things official and got married. So this idiot marries a ragdoll. And it's in the Washington Post. I love the Washington Post. Washington Post tells me things other places don't. But let's be honest. Ain't nobody getting pregnant from a ragdoll. All I'm saying, I didn't feel the contractions. Seeing the placenta and the umbilical cord that made it real. 
He was here in 35 minutes, and it was great. It's another ragdoll. Uh, they went on a honeymoon. They welcomed their doll child. She gave birth in just 35 minutes with a doctor and nurse on site, live streaming it to an audience of 200 people. We should do a segment on here. People will do anything for attention. Swear to God. Married a rag doll. Personally, I'd rather go back and talk about gun smoke, Nick Chaplin. I'd rather talk about Magnum P.I. Never watched a second of it. Uh, that's a lie. I did watch a second of that. I didn't like it. Simon and Simon, I didn't like it. But I like it better. I do like it better other than uh, talking about some idiot in Brazil marrying a rag doll. Uh, really sad news yesterday. You know, Biggie Swanigan passed away. Biggie Swanigan was one of those guys, big old dude, homeless kid. Um, man, ended up getting saved by a couple of good guys, Roosevelt Barnes, Eugene Parker, who since passed away up in Fort Wayne. They got him in shape. He became a high school All-American, Mr. Basketball at Indiana, and a first-round pick after playing at Purdue for a couple years. And now Biggie Sw Swanigan passed away. And, again, it's really sad. I mean, one of the – I don't know if I talked about this yesterday, but one of the things that, you know, uh, people face is when they are done playing in college, it's really difficult. I mean, it's really difficult. And if you make the NBA, it's not difficult. If you go to a job, you know, that you know you're going to love, it's not difficult. But 95% of guys that get done playing, I don't know about women, although my wife told me the same thing, 95% of guys that um, get out of college, frankly, are depressed when they're out if they don't have it already lined up. I was. Biggie Swanigan passed away, and if anybody that knows me, you can read about me, you can think I'm this or think I'm that, but one thing I can't stand is kids being hurt, and here it is again. Here it is again. Jalen Ferguson of the Baltimore Ravens passed away. Have not released why, um, but Jalen, 26 years old. 26 years old. And what people are saying about this, it was a third-round pick, 67 sacks, four and a half, or four and a half sacks, 67 tackles. He was a third-round pick in 2019. He just passed away. I mean, how's this happening? I don't know how it's happening. I don't have an answer. And one thing I learned in broadcasting is never presume to know until the facts come out. We've seen a lot of people be stupid with things like that. But I just know it breaks my heart every time a young person passes away. I, look, I get it. It should break your heart when an old person passes away. But I've always had this thing for young folk. I've always had, even when I was a kid, I could not stand the Wizard of Odds because Dorothy was in peril. I just didn't like it. I'm sorry. I just didn't like it. You know, some people are like that with every animal. It hits them harder. I'm not like that with every animal. Older people, like people my age, I'd say, hey, man, uh, I had a good run. But young people, 26 years old, like Biggie Swanigan or Caleb Swanigan or, or you know, this kid here, it just, it, I hate it. I hate it for everyone. And I hate it, obviously, for his family, particularly his parents. Look, I've got a 25-year-old, 28-year-old, and I, I couldn't imagine. I've always said, take me first. Just take me first. I got stepkids, take me first. My beautiful wife, my ex-wife, take me first. Man. So rest in peace, Caleb Swanigan, rest in peace, Jalen Ferguson. I hate it. I do. I'm sorry. I get goosebumps. I absolutely, positively hate it. 
Uh, all right, when we come back uh, on the other side, we've got guys who are just starting their lives. You know, I talked about how unless you're going to the NBA or unless you got a great job, if you're a basketball player, a men's basketball player, or maybe an athlete across the board, when you get done playing, man, it's hard. It's really hard. Well, we're going to talk next about four or five guys who are going to go to the NBA. I'm going to talk about some draft prospects, some that I think are going to end up better than what they're projected. Yeah. I am interested. Like, I don't know. A lot of people on the YouTube chat are saying, well, it's the chat, you know, it's the, it's the needle, it's the vaccine. I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to presume that. There's always a lot of reasons. But anyway, I'm not presuming any of that, and I won't comment on any of that because I don't have any idea. Zero idea. I'll ask a doctor, see what they think. Anyway, I got six draft prospects we're going to talk about next. And at 10.50, I gave you the worst bet ever yesterday. I'm mad at myself. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, welcome back. It is Don't At Me, and I really appreciate all of you that are currently on the YouTube chat. I appreciate everybody watching via Twitter, and I appreciate folks that are going to be joining us because we usually end up around 30,000 views a day, and I'm digging it. Connie Harris, Denroy, Ed Rogers, Jason Cox, Marby Dog, Nick Chaplin, Right 7, Country 7 Men, and a host of others on the YouTube chat, and I thank you for that. Let's talk about draft prospects. Now, look, I think the first three picks in the draft are probably, probably going to be Banchero, Holgram, and Jabari Smith. Then I think, I don't know, uh, Jaden Ivey. And I talked about those guys the other day, and I'd be very, very careful. I mean, very, very careful were I to be an NBA team that passes on Jaden Ivey for a 6'10 jump shoot. I just would. Maybe you would. I would. So let's talk about guys that may move up. You know, yesterday on my show uh, uh, in Indianapolis, I talked to Fran McCaffrey. Now, Fran McCaffrey is one of the great interviews. He's a head basketball coach at Iowa, and we were talking about Keegan Murray, his player. And Keegan Murray uh, is a really good player. A lot of people feel like he is the, quote, most NBA ready. Now, when you watch these things, you're going to hear the most this, the best that, this, that, and the other. Here's what I say about Keegan Murray, and I knew this was coming. Keegan Murray, according to Fran and others, his stock is going up, up, and up. Why? Well, teams aren't drafting idiots anymore. The idiot meter is off. It's not lowered. It's basically off. We're going to end up paying a guy like John Wall $47 million. That's only going to go up. It could be Keegan Murray. We may have to pay $47 million. But to get to that point, I want to, rec- I want to have good guys. That might be the best guy in the draft. There's a lot of great kids in this draft. I mean, great. Fran told me the story about his dad, uh, Kenyon Murray, who was a terrific player at Iowa. Terrific. Tried to recruit him out of Battle Creek, Michigan. But anyway, Ke- uh, Kenyon Murray had two sons. They're twins, Chris and Keegan. Long story short... Kept them out of the traditional high-profile and our uh, uh, AAU stuff. Ha- they actually played on a B team of the Iowa Barnstormers, which is a really good AAU program out of Iowa. Well, long story short, Kenyon Murray raised and his wife raised these two kids to be not only great players but exemplary citizens. As Fran McCaffrey said, uh, "Look, Keegan Murray doesn't even know where the clubs are." 
All he's worried about is being a good human being and a good dude. Keegan Murray reminds me, reminds me. I don't think he's as good. And you've heard me say this a lot of Grant Hill. Grant Hill could do everything. You want to bring the ball up? Grant Hill can do it. You want to go to the rim off a high ball screen? Grant Hill can do it. You want to shoot jump shots? Grant Hill can do it. You want to post up? Grant Hill can do it. And at the end of the day, you don't really think that Grant Hill is going a million miles an hour, nor do you think that about Keegan Murray. But next thing you know, he's got 20 and 15 or 25 and 18, whatever it is. Terrific player. If your city gets Keegan Murray, you're lucky. You're lucky. You're going to have a great, great ambassador. You're going to have a, I don't know, I'm not going to say great player yet. we got to see it. The NBA game is different. But if he goes anywhere from fourth, I hope he goes sixth to the Pacers. Pacers have six. I'd love to see Keegan Murray in a Pacer uniform. I think he's really good. I think he's the perfect complimentary player. I don't know whether he's going to be a superstar. Maybe at six you got to get a superstar, but I don't know whether any of these guys are going to be a superstar. The next guy is a guy a lot like Keegan Murray. His name is Johnny Davis out of Wisconsin. Now, today on my indie show, I'm going to have his coach, Greg Gard, on my show. And in talking to Greg Gard, I know what he's going to say. Uber competitive. Like uber now, you got to remember, this kid right here went into Mackey Arena, the loudest of all the arenas, and dropped 37 points on the entire state of Indiana, the Boiler Nation, and potential number one, two, or three pick, Jaden Ivey. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. When I watched him score 37, I thought to myself, he probably has 25. And then I kept watching, I'm like, whoa. This might be one of the best performances I've ever seen on the road in the Big Ten. Now, he got a little banged up late. He got banged up late, didn't play great in the NCAA tournament, but hey, what are you going to do? But this kid is uber competitive. Like, he'll rip your head off to compete. He's quiet, same as Keegan Murray, great dude, no question about it. Has a twin brother, (laughs) which is odd, right? But if he comes to your team, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a guy that can drive it, a guy that I've already talked about his competitiveness. Now, that competitiveness extends to both ends. Is he the quickest on-ball defender? Probably not, but guess what? Nobody really is. I mean, did you see what happened to Marcus Smart when he tried to guard? He's defensive player of the year. Did you see what happened to Marcus Smart when he tried to guard Steph Curry? Wasn't going to happen. Sorry, just wasn't going to happen. So when you get this kid, he's good enough, very, very good defensively. I'm not going to say he's Marcus Smart, but he's very good defensively. He'll compete on the backboard. He's not going to be one of those stand-around guys that hangs out out here. He's going to be like Steph Curry in that he wants to get involved in the action. And I got to tell you, there's not a lot of guards like that anymore in the country. But he's one of them. He's going to be picked probably after six. Don't be surprised if a year from now I'm not playing this tape back showing you how smart I am and how this is a better pick than maybe three-quarters, if not all, of the guys ahead of him. not saying it's going to happen, but I'm not going to be surprised by it. He has that kind of talent, that kind of intelligence, that kind of fundamentals, and that kind of skill. John Davis is going to be a good player. Benedict Mathurin, Arizona. Love this kid. Love I love all these kids, if you haven't noticed. I'll criticize a kid. That's coming. I'm not going to pretend and say that I watched Benedict Mathurin 
But I'll tell you this, I mean, all the time, but I'll tell you what I did do. I watched him enough to know that's a bad boy. That's a high-flying athlete that can shoot. I want you to say that again. It's a high-flying athlete that can shoot. Now, when you draw up the modern NBA player, a high-flying athlete that can shoot is like the prototype. You know, everybody says, oh, you got to have a 6'10 guy that can shoot. Yeah, he's Kevin Durant. ESPN got nervous right there. They had three white guys on there by themselves. They got nervous. <laughs> they had to bring RG3 uh, back on the set to talk about the NBA. They got a little nervous right there. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> but anyway, Mathurin's one of those guys that when you watch him, you like him more. When you first watch him, you like him. Then you like him more. Then you're like, whoa, wait a second. He goes to the rim strong. Now, they tell me he doesn't handle the ball and his passing skills aren't the greatest. Eh, we'll see. We'll see. Ball handling is easy to fix. I mean, look, personal trainers have eight bazillion drills. Now, passing is a little bit difficult because why, ladies and gentlemen? Passing speaks to instincts. I got to tell you, I didn't see that as a negative. I think sometimes what NBA draft guys do, I think what NBA draft guys do is they got to find a negative so it makes them sound smart. Hey, look, I'm not going to tell you he's, uh, I don't know, he's not Magic Johnson coming in, but the dude is 19 years old. He's about six foot six, long armed, goes to the rim and finishes with a dunk, athletic around the rim, and can shoot it. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty damn, comb- pretty damn good combination. These next two guys are interesting. I don't know where Jalen Durham's going. Jalen Durham. Jalen Durham, I saw at Memphis when they played against, well, it was at Houston, actually, when they played against Houston. Jalen Dern is kind of considered, you know, the big, long, athletic. I'm not going to say he's DeAndre Ayton, but he's a big, strong, physical inside guy. But I got to tell you, and I'll look up the numbers. I guess I'll do it right now. But when I look at the game that I did, and I went in there saying, all right, Um, I want to see Imani Bates because it was whether or not Imani Bates was going to play. And I want to see this Duran kid. And, of course, I wanted to see Houston's team. Well, um, I didn't really recognize Jalen Duran. Like, I didn't walk out of there going, hey, you know what? That kid really stood out. I, I didn't recognize him at all. And I know he's a guy that a lot of people are projecting could go anywhere. And I know, let me see here. You know, he averaged 12 points, eight rebounds. Hey, I'd have taken it as a college player. You kidding me? I'd have loved to have been that as a college player. And he played on a team with a lot of really good players. And he was a consensus five-star recruit and all that stuff. But I didn't really notice him. Now, that's one game, but it was a big game. It was a big game that they ended up winning and breaking uh, Houston's home win streak. And Jalen Dern, you know, I don't know. I know that he's got upside. But buyer beware. Because you're talking about with this kid anywhere from 9 to 15. He's 18 years old. He's the youngest player in the class. He's got unbelievable measurables. He's raw. He's 250. How are you 18 years old? Six foot ten, 250 pounds. Yeah, I don't know. Does the league fit him? I don't know. I'll tell you who the league does fit. And people may like this. People may not like this. But the, the, it fits Mark Williams. 
Mark Williams, a kid from Duke. Let me tell you something about Mark Williams. Same thing I said about Mathurin. And maybe this would have happened about Durham, but I feel like I've watched Durham enough that I didn't see it get better and better and better. This guy right here, Mark Williams, if Mark Williams comes to your team, you're going to be happy with Mark Williams. Now, you know who Robert Williams is, the kid that plays for the Boston Celtics? Robert Williams is more talented physically than Mark Williams. Mark Williams is what Mark Williams is, a guy doing that right there, a guy around the rim, a guy that plays like Robert Williams. He's not trying to go out and be a three-point shooter. No, he is around the rim. He's doing that. He's dunking follow-ups, lobs. He can shoot a jump hook to his left shoulder. He's not afraid to finish strong at the rim. He ain't weak around the rim. Mark Williams of Duke is one of those guys that the more I watched and watched, and, you know, it's Duke, so you're always seeing him, and watched and watched. I'm like, whoa, that dude is good. No, wait a second. That dude is really good. Hold on. That dude's a first-round pick. And all of a sudden, I remember when I first looked, now he's not a first-round pick. Well, now he's a first-round pick. And I'm telling you, if he comes to your team, if he comes to your team, you're going to be very happy. I, I'm not going to say he's going to average 15, nothing like that. But you know what he's going to be? Smarter than the other player he's playing against, in position all the time offensively and defensively, a defensive influencer. No, not a Kim Kardashian influencer. A defensive influencer blocking shots, influencing shots. And unless I miss my guess here and the league gets a little too big, uh, or, or it is too big for him, I think he's going to make some buckets in the post. Yeah, I do. Now, I don't think he's as all-around as the three big kids, and I'll say this again. I won't stop saying it. The Orlando Magic, if they don't take Paolo Banchero, they are idiots. They'll get a good player. Holcomb be a good player. No question. Be nice. Like Aaron Gordon, like all the other guys you draft, good player. If you don't draft Paolo Banchero, you're going to regret the living hell out of it because Paolo Banchero at six foot ten, and again, everybody tells me how tall he is when you're up to him and how big he is, you know, in person. If you don't draft him with his ball skills as a guard, uh, you're going to remain an idiot. That's just what I got for you. You're going to start as an idiot because you got the number one pick and you're going to end as an idiot because you didn't use the pick wisely. Chet Holmgren, great. Nice pick. Cute little story. I didn't remember his dad. I played against his dad. His dad actually in his career played less at Minnesota than I played at my career. How about that? Yeah. How about them apples? But anyway, if you don't pick Banchero number one, you're a stone idiot. Now, what's going to happen? We can clip this off. What's going to happen is this. What's going to happen is uh, Jabari Smith or somebody's going to have some numbers, blah, blah, blah. But the team ain't going to win because of them. Team's not going to win because of them. I'm just telling you. It's the way it is. Hey, I just saw this.
I like this. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'm still the all-time leading NBA scorer. Let me say it accurate. I'm still the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. And I only made one three-point shot. Yeah. Now, in, in other folks' defense, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played a long time. Like, he may still be trudging up and down the court. In my world, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the best, most dominant player that I saw. Michael Jordan, let me back up. The most dominant player that I saw was Kareem. The best player that I saw was Michael Jordan. I would put him 1 and 1A, and you can tell me 1 is 1 and 1 is 1A, or flip it the next day, and I'd say you're right. Again, I did not see Wilt. I did not see Oscar or Jerry or whoever you want to put in there in their prime. I didn't see Mikan. You know, I'm old, but I ain't that old. You know what I'm saying? I'm old, but I ain't that damn old. But I did see Kareem when he was really good. And there has never been in the history of basketball a more devastating shot than the skyhook. Yes, you could say Wilt's dunk or whatever. Stop it. I'm talking about when he got the ball and you were playing him on his left shoulder, he still was able to turn to his left shoulder and get the sky hook off. I actually had an idiot, uh, kind of a J.J. Redick-type idiot, tell me, hey, look, Dockage, they would have played him. They would have scouted him on his left shoulder. Well, well, he could also turn to his right shoulder and shoot a jump shot. Don't be stupid. Don't be smirch the greats. If you're going to talk about the greats, you got to talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Don't be smirch Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Don't be smirch Michael Jordan. Don't. Don't do it. Just forget about it. Stop. Psst. All right? Done. All right. Let me go to a couple other things. Uh, yesterday, I gave you a terrible bet. Yesterday, the bet that I gave you was so bad, I'm almost embarrassed. But I have a rule in betting. Quit bitching about it. That's right. Quit complaining. Damn. Sitting there, you gave me a bad bet. Yeah, I gave you a bad bet, but the day before, I gave you two winners. So we're two and one. And the bet you made on the Cubs was plus money. So you're making money with me. Don't at me, people. Don't make me pissed off this morning. I got three shows today. I got a show today. I got a show at noon. Then I got a show at six where I got to entertain the masses downtown Indy. So people are asking me, oh, wise one. The Lightning or the Avalanche? I got to tell you, I don't know. If I knew, I would tell you. Why did I pick the Lightning the other day? Heart of the champion, baby. Heart of the champion. You kidding me? You lose two on the road. You lose the second one bad. You come home. You're going to win that game. Uh, I always use gun to head. Gun to head, if I had to make a bet on the game tonight, I'd probably take the Lightning. Yeah, I think I'd take the Lightning. They're out minus 120. The Avalanche, this kind of surprises me because a lot of people felt like the Avalanche pretty good, but the Avalanche, and they are pretty good. They're in the Stanley Cup Finals, for crying out loud. But as we sit here right now, the Avalanche are plus 100, meaning you'd only got to bet 100 to win 200. But I don't know. I really don't know about that. I wish I did. 
but I don't. Now when I look at bets, listen to this. So to bet the NBA draft, Jabari Smith Jr. is minus 250. Paolo Banchero is plus 255. Um, the third pick, uh, Chet Holmgren is plus 350, and then Jaden Ivey is plus 9,000. God, I want to put a little scratch on Jaden Ivey. I got to believe. Are you that stupid in Orlando? The answer's got to be yes. I mean, are you that stupid? Like, look, you got to understand something. The guy who's making the pick for Detroit is a former frickin' manager at Indiana University. The guy making the pick for the Clippers is a former frickin' manager. The guy making the pick or the head of scouting for the Pacers is a former manager. Now, yes, they're hardworking, scrappy little fellas, but let's be honest. It isn't like these guys are basketball geniuses. They say the right things. John Hammond is a smart guy. John Hammond is the GM of the Orlando Magic. I like John Hammond a lot. But John Hammond was a basketball coach at college, and then he, you know, he started talking, and next thing you know, Joe Dumars hired him with the Pistons, and now he's a general manager. I don't know. I got to believe John Hammond is smart enough. Maybe he's not. I got to believe John Hammond, a guy that I really like, is smart enough to pick a guy that is going to have influence. Now, let me say that again, influence. Like, when I say influence, I don't say just make shots. I say influence. That means influence how the game is played on offense, on defense, and everywhere else. You know, right now, they got a bad roster. They got Cole Anthony, Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr., whose mommy was all mad, R.J. Hampton, I love Gary Harris. I love Jonathan Isaac. It's a bad roster. Franz Wagner was a really good pick. Mo Wagner's a really good dude. But I got to tell you, it's a bad roster. So I'm looking at this roster and I'm saying to myself, who makes this team better? I don't know. Uh, Wendell Carter, did you know he's only 23? Did you know that Markel Fultz is only 24? You need a guy that can come in and really play. All right? And I'm looking at this, and you got a bunch of guys that have names. Cole Anthony had a name. I ain't building around Cole Anthony. I ain't building around Bull Bull, Iggy Brasdakis, Wendell Carter Jr., maybe. I'll tell you what I'm building around. Building around Paolo Banchero. Wendell Carter Jr., I did not know this, average 15 and 10. Give me someone to go with him. And that ain't Jabari Smith. So I want to tell you something. I'll be surprised if they pick Jabari Smith number one. I will be. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to take either Banchero or Jaden Ivey as a number one pick right now. I'm going to put a little scratch on and see what happens. Because if you have Wendell Carter, who's averaging 15 and 10, and you got a bunch of other dudes, yeah, you may need, yeah, you could need Jabari Smith, but you got Jonathan Isaac at 6'10", who averaged 12 points a game, who kind of, sort of, maybe is the same, shot 34% from the three-point line. I'm not saying he shot a lot of threes, but he shot enough. 
Now, they didn't play him by the end of the year. Maybe he got hurt. I don't know. He didn't, you know, kneel and genuflect and all the other stuff. Maybe they got mad at him. But I got to tell you, it might be worth your while to think that John Hammond may be smart enough to take Paulo Banchero or Jaden Ivey. 9000 Put 100 bucks down and win 9000 Jay Nivey, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't think they're that smart, but I'll tell you what, that's worth a flyer. Positive money coming back on Banchero with that roster? Why would you need Jabari Smith with that? You got young guys. You need a ball handler. You need somebody to go get to the rim. Yeah. Uh, don't be surprised if Banchero, don't be surprised if Ivy isn't the guy. I'm doing some serious thinking in this show. When I start talking low, you know I'm doing some thinking. Uh, thinking ain't easy for me, people. It's not like it just comes naturally. When I'm doing some thinking, I got to get quiet. I got to go to the beer. And I just did some major league thinking right there. Yeah, I did. Oh, by the way, uh, a little update. A couple days ago with a friend of mine, I said, look, Bet you 100 bucks I can get 100,000 views on this tweet. And I actually believe the tweet. And the tweet was interesting. The Pacers are praised for picking Reggie Miller over Steve Offer in 1987. Yet the Pacers have not won a thing in the subsequent 39 years. It should be 35. Uh, would they have won anything with Alford? Who knows? But what we do know is nothing was won with Miller. And I mean people have lost their minds. The big lead wrote an article on it. People are writing articles on it. People are all crabby. My coworkers are mad. We got to debate this. Yeah, we're going to debate nothing. It's a fact. I mean, I don't want to tell you. So right now in Twitter activity, you're just giving this clickbait. No, really not. But if people are going to be such idiots about it, let's see. So we're over 700,000 on this bad boy. Now ah, you can't see it. And I like it. You just retweeted your own tweet. Nice work, numb nuts. Well, you're right. I'll do it again. Let me see. It's what I do. Here, I'll do it again. There we go. I retweet him on tweet again. <laughs> Speaking of tweets, uh, don't be afraid to tweet our stuff out. We got the good stuff, baby. We give you the good stuff every day. We bring the action, so let everybody know. Uh, tonight, the Avs, I can't make the bet. And I gave you the dumbest bet ever. And let me explain why this was the dumbest bet ever. Just bear with me for another minute. Remember I told you the Cubs had this jackass of a pitcher? He's probably a really nice guy, okay? His name is Swarmer. Swarmer. All right? So Swarmzy is on the bump yesterday, and he actually pitched fairly well uh, first couple times out, but he's been awful lately. He throws it 89 to 90. Aaron Judge, leadoff hitter for the Yankees a couple days ago, a week ago, just hit one to the moon. Well, they're playing Pittsburgh. So my man, Matt Swarmer, goes four innings, five hits, four earned, couple walks. Mark Leiter Jr., four strikeouts and three. It doesn't matter. Cubs lose seven to one. I knew that this was a dumb bet. But I didn't take into account how bad our pitching is and how bad the Cubs are. I'll still bet again. And, and, oh, by the way, you know what else I didn't take into account? Think about this. As bad as, look at that head. That's a good-looking head. Uh, as bad as people say the Pirates are, I think they got a better record than the Cubs. I don't know what to do about that. I don't know what to say about that. 
I know this. Don't bet on the freaking Cubs. The White Sox today had a comeback. Now they're playing at home with Giolito on the mound, and they're getting plus money. So if I bet 100 bucks, I win 200 I'm taking it. I got to take it. This is how you lose money. I made four grand in the NCAA tournament because I studied it. I did it. I just made a boat ton because I studied it and I did it. Just because it's a 2-10 start doesn't mean I should bet it. But you know what? I'm going to bet it. I got two words for me. Bah! Hey, everyone, have a great day. Join me today at noon to 3 at 1075thefan.com. Also, tonight, if you're bored, 6 o'clock, we're going to be at the Indiana Historical Society for a fan cave. I think there's still tickets available. I don't know. But go to 1075thefan for that. And if you want to play in my golf outing, it is July uh, July 18th. It goes to Franciscan Health, the money does, where we're trying to help people that are battling cancer. A lot of stuff going on. Thanks, everybody. Jacob and Dylan and Ryan and Davey and Clay Travis and everybody behind the scenes. We will talk to you tomorrow. Can't wait. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Dockage out.